0: As the New Horizons Choir makes their way out of the choir loft into uh, the sanctuary, they've done double duty this morning. So some will, will go home because they already heard the sermon once. Some may stay for a double dose. I'm not sure. Um, if you've got a bulletin inside, you're going to really need this handout this morning, especially near the last half of the message. It's got some bulleted points that aren't will not be on the screen. And so just make sure you got a bulletin and an insert that's going to help you this morning. Um, I would say that we've saved the best church for last in our sermon series on the seven churches, but that's not true at all because most of us, if we're familiar with any of these seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, the church in Laodicea is the notorious church that's lukewarm. And that's what our text is today. And so our passage comes from Revelation chapter 3, we'll be starting in verse 14, I'll read through the end of the chapter. Remember, Jesus spoke these words to these seven churches to John the Apostle on the island of Patmos. And these letters to specific churches in Asia Minor were circular letters that would go throughout. So by now the letter has made its way from starting in Ephesus all the way around to Laodicea. Let's hear what Jesus has to say to the church in Laodicea, and I pray that we'll find this morning a word that God has for us. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you And opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him, and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my Father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. As I've done most every week, That we've had these messages on these churches. It helps us to see with our eyes and hear with our ears some information about these churches, their community. So there behind me is the picture of the map that I've used Several times that I've preached in here at 11 o'clock. And so there's Patmos, the island there where John was writing these, these prophetic words to the churches. And it makes its way first to Ephesus, then to Smyrna, then to Pergamum, coming down to Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and then Laodicea. Notice north of Laodicea is Hierapolis and south of Laodicea is Colossae. It's important. Let me tell you some important things, though, about the city of Laodicea. These are very critical for us to know, and it's really going to tie in well to what Jesus specifically says to this church. First, it was a very prosperous commercial center. It was known for three areas of industry. It's banking, it's textiles, and it's school of ophthalmology. The city, though, was located uh, next to a volcanic region, But Laodicea was so financially strong that when it was devastated by an earthquake in AD 60, they as a community refused help from Rome. Now several other places were affected by earthquakes there in Asia Minor. And they took full advantage of whatever the Roman Empire would give them financially. But Laodicea had deep, padded pockets. And as a town, as a city, they needed no help from Rome to rebuild their city. There's some important things to know, not just about Laodicea, but what about its neighbors, the two closest cities to it. First, to the north, Hierapolis. They had hot springs there that were mineral-type springs that were really a place where people would come from long distances for medical healing. But to the south and to the east of them, in Laodicea, was Colossae. And they had cool, refreshing, cold water... That brought great water to drink and fertilized that whole river valley. Yet Laodicea had very few, if any, water sources. They relied upon an aqueduct to bring the water to them. Most likely, since Hierapolis was to the north of them and also was an elevated part of land, the water would come down from there, mineral kind of springed water, and it would be not hot or not cold when it arrived in Laodicea. With this background in mind, let's look now to the text once again. Three truths this morning. The third truth has several subpoints. First truth is this: Jesus speaks truly about the real state of the church in Laodicea and the church today. Look at verse 14 once again. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write: the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I, as an Alabamian, choose to say amen there, not amen. But it's the words of Jesus. Every one of these letters specifically here, from Jesus. And Jesus defines himself as the Amen, as the amen. Where does that come from? Well, possibly from where Jesus would often say, Verily, verily, I say to you, truly, truly, or amen, amen, I say to you. Also, Isaiah 65, 13, God is said to be the God of amen. Paul writes in Corinthians that all the promises in God are yes and amen. Jesus is the amen. But more than that, he's the faithful Witness, the true witness. When someone bears witness, they speak about that which they have experienced, that which they have seen, that which they have heard. Jesus says, I am the faithful witness. The same Greek word where we get our English word, "marker." He is the faithful and true witness. And then it said that he's the beginning of God's creation. What does that mean? Well, I've got a cross-reference for you. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 16. There, Paul's writing to the church in Colossae, right beside Laodicea. He has this to say about Jesus. Verse 15, he, that's Jesus there. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. It's the same Greek word used there in Revelation three fourteen. For by him, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven, on the earth, visible Invisible, Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. So Jesus is the source. That's a better, really a better translation of the Greek there. He is the source. There's been some confusion through the years about the idea of Jesus being the firstborn. As if Jesus was somehow God's first creation. No, he is God's only begotten son. But Jesus, God the son, has always been for eternity past. He is present and he always will be. Jesus was not created. Jesus was there at creation. It's by him, through him, for him that things were created. Jesus is the source. He is the preeminent one of God. And because of this, Jesus says, I am the amen. I am the faithful, true witness. I am the source of all creation. On the basis of this, now I will speak to you, church. You see, Jesus always knows. If there's one reoccurring theme through these churches, it's this. Jesus knows, Jesus sees, and he cuts through any charades that we play. He knows Our hearts, he knows, our churches. Jesus is the ultimate one who can truly give us the state of the church. And what does he say? Verse 15 and 16. He says to this church specifically, as he says to five of the seven churches, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Does that really mean what it says? You better believe it. Jesus says, I will spew, I will vomit, I will spit you out of my mouth. Laodicean church, because you are lukewarm. Now here's what we must not do. And I've heard it preached this way. I've probably even taught it this way when I was younger, doing Bible studies as a young man. What Jesus is saying here is not this kind of analogy to where there's cold, which is like far from God, rejecting God, doesn't even know Jesus, to hot, on fire for God, loves Jesus, wants to serve him, and then kind of this nominal, complacent, lukewarm Christian And maybe you've heard it said, maybe it's been preached to you before, that Jesus would rather you be cold than lukewarm. No, Jesus wants us to be useful and have purpose for him. Because if you look at this in context, historically and geographically, there was great use for cold, refreshing water. Jesus says, either be that or be hot, and it means in the Greek, boiling hot Water that heals, water that refreshes, just be useful, have a purpose for me. Don't be lukewarm, don't be tepid. Which brings us to our second truth. The most dangerous place to be is to be self sufficient and unaware of your own need. Look at verse 17. For you say, Laodicea, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. In his commentary, John Stott defines lukewarmness this way He says, To be lukewarm is to be blind to one's true condition. All throughout the Bible, warnings are given about the dangers. Of prosperity, of wealth, and complacency. When Jesus tells the story, the parable of the sower in Matthew 13. About a certain sower went out to sow seed. And it falls upon different types of ground. And different things happen. He defines for us the specific details of that parable at the end of Matthew 13. So when you think about that parable, it's this. He says, the seed that falls upon the path and the birds come and take it away, that's those that hear the word of God, yet Satan comes and steals it away before they understand it, internalize it, and apply it. Those, though, that the seed falls upon the rocky soil and it springs up quickly, but the sun comes out and it dies, there, Jesus says, it's those that receive the word of God and immediately with joy, Receive it. And there's quick growth. But when trials come and the persecution of the world comes, they fall away. Or then the third category. Those that the plants or the seed that takes root with the thorny soil. And it sprouts and it begins to grow. But then it's choked out by two things. The cares of the world... And the deceitfulness of wealth. And then, of course, there's the good soil that bears fruit, multiple fruit from that good soil. Jesus says, in Matthew 19, 24, again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. He says specifically, you cannot serve or love God as I learned it in King James and mammon or money cannot love the one and love the other. It could be when Jesus tells a parable about a rich man, the rich fool that has all this prosperity. And he says, I've got so much, plenty, I don't have anywhere to put all this crop. So I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones and I'll fill them up with all this plenty and then I will relax because I've stored up for the future many, many years of goods. I'll relax. I'll eat. I'll drink. I'll be merry. I don't want to step on your toes because I have a retirement account and I hope to retire one day. But is not that retirement, the American dream. The God says to this man, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? In other words, who's going to get all your stuff when you're gone? So is the one Jesus says in Luke 12, 21, who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. No, our attitude should be like that of the Proverbs chapter 30. It says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. That's why Paul says that it's the love of money that is a root of all evils. That's why Paul says do not put your hope in the uncertainty of riches. That's why Paul says be rich toward God. That's why Jesus says you've got to become like a child a humble, needy child, or you and I will never enter into the kingdom of God. For every church in the United States of America, if there is one of these seven churches that we could be, I'm speaking collectively of all the churches in our country based on our money, based on our status, based on our prosperity in this country that we're in. It's the church at Laodicea. Do not write it off. Oh, those people at Laodicea. I'm so glad we're not like them at First Baptist Church on the square. Oh, really? Really. This church has no debt this church has been great with stewardship but let us be careful to not put our hope into any thing of ourselves that we can do because I pray that we'll never be like the, in Proverbs 30 I just want to say Lord don't give me riches, don't give me poverty just give me enough so my heart will be right with you because when you have more than you need oh the money starts getting control of you. And I tell you, there's a battle right now for the heart and soul of America. And there's a battle right now for the heart and soul of the church of Jesus Christ. And we'd be wise, number three. We'll be most wise to heed the counsel of Jesus to receive healing and hope for our desperate condition. Now remember... The three things that they were good at. Banking, textiles, and their ophthalmology. Notice verse 18 of Revelation 3. I counsel you, Jesus says, to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. And white garments so that you may clothe yourself. And the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salved to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Jesus says, listen to me. I'm going to counsel with you. I'm going to tell you something as your counselor. Listen to me. Come buy gold from me. You may have the best savings account in LaGrange this morning. But Jesus says, you come buy some gold from me. You may have the best wardrobe in LaGrange this morning. But Jesus says, and listen, they were known for for their exquisite black wool in Laodicea. But Jesus says, you know, you come because you think you're clothed. You think you've got all that you need, Laodicea. You think you've got it all, but you're really naked. Come, let me clothe you with my righteous robes in white. Then he says, you think you can see your future. You think you know all that's going to happen, that you're in control of your life. He says, no, you, you don't see. You're blind. Come, receive the eye salve that I have that will open your eyes to see. Which brings us to some subpoints. First is this. Jesus calls us to exchange what we have for what only he can give. He calls us to exchange what we have for what he can give. Look at Isaiah 55. I listed verse 1 there, but I meant to, I should have listed more. I'm going to read the first three verses. This is good news. Jesus says, the Lord says, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. So if you've got money, come on, buy it, Jesus says. You don't have money? Come on. It's available. It's available. To the rich and the poor. The Lord says, why do you spend your money? For that which is not bread. And your labor, for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. I hope you see the analogy. He's saying, come and receive the food that I will give you. As Jesus will say, come and receive this living water that will well up inside of you and you'll never be thirsty again. Our Jesus Christ who says, I am the bread of life, come and taste and eat me. Verse three, incline your ear. Come to me here that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant My steadfast, sure love for David. What does it profit a man or a woman if they gain the whole world yet lose their soul? There's an empty void all across this land. All across our churches in this land. There's an empty, hungry soul that only Jesus can satisfy. second subpoint Jesus disciplines rebukes and calls us to repentance because he loves us look at verse 19 those whom i love i reprove and discipline so be zealous and repent hebrews 12:6 cross reference for the lord disciplines the one he hates no He disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It's because Jesus loves us, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But it's because he loves you and me that he disciplines us as a father does for his son. Third sub-point, Jesus graciously offers intimacy and fellowship with rebellious people like you and me. Look at verse 20. this This is just unbelievable. And you've heard this verse, I'm sure, before, maybe in a gospel tract. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. This is no evangelistic verse. This is a verse that can be used in evangelism, but it's specifically used for a church. And unlike Sardis, which had a great reputation in name only, they at least had a remnant, a core, who loved Jesus. Laodicea, nobody infected with complacency, with wealth, with self-sufficiency, yet Jesus can say, I'm calling you out. I see how you are. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I'm going to discipline you, but I love you. That's why. And then I'm going to graciously offer table fellowship with you. Now, we've lost this in our society. We're always on the move Sometimes I will even skip lunch. I'll work right through it. Maybe we've got stuff going on in the evenings, working night shifts and folks doing different things and and you come in and grab a bite and you go. But I want to urge you, families, cherish the table time that God has. Husbands and wives, cherish that table time. In their culture... It's the table, the place where you share life. Listen, it wasn't just just that Jesus was saying things that got on under their skin when he got under the Pharisees' skin. What really got them angry with him was that he did what? That he ate with sinners. It wasn't. That the Apostle Paul was spending time with Gentiles that really bothered those Judaizers and Galatians. No, it was that he actually ate with them. Because to eat with someone in their culture is to share life. Jesus says, I am ready to spit you out of my mouth. But I love you. Repent. And I want to come in. If you'll just let me in. And let's have a meal. Let's have fellowship. Unbelievable passage. Blew me away last week as I studied to go from getting spewed out of his mouth to him knocking at the door saying, let me in. I love you. Let's spend some time together. It's amazing what Jesus offers us. Despite their lukewarm identity as a church, Jesus is there knocking on the door, making his presence available to the church. But lastly, Jesus doesn't just want to come in and have fellowship. When he comes into our lives, he comes in to take control. We'll like to ask our deacons, our men that are going to help with Lord's Supper to go ahead and take your position, please. You see, Jesus wants more than just a meal. John 14, 23 helps us here. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. So, not, I'll just knock on the door and we'll have a meal together. No, Jesus says, if you say you love me, if you confess me as your Lord, then you're going to allow the Father and going to allow me and I'd argue the Holy Spirit as well to make their home inside of your heart. Great little book you ought to read sometime. Robert Boyd Munger, My Heart, Christ's Home. Jesus doesn't just want to come in and have fellowship. When he comes into our lives, he comes in to take the will, to take the reins, to have control. Why? Because he is the amen. He is the faithful and true witness. He is the beginning, the source of all life. He sees us as we are. He is worthy of our praise and our adoration and our devotion and our submission this morning. As our deacons come now, we're going to come to the table of the Lord. How, how, How perfect how the Lord just so beautifully sets this up. That Jesus wants to have table fellowship with his rebellious, lukewarm church of Laodicea. That's good news for us. I don't think we're exactly Laodicea. But no matter where we are as a church, Jesus wants to have fellowship with us because he's made it possible through his body being broken on a cross and his blood being shed for us. So as these elements are passed out to you this morning... You'll find two cups. One of those cups has within it grape juice. And this stands for the blood of Jesus that was shed for the remission of sins. Underneath it, you can separate the cups. There's a little piece of unleavened bread, which stands for the body of Christ that was broken on the cross as he died for our sins. This meal is only for those who belong to Jesus. If you belong to Jesus Christ, this meal belongs to you. If you've not... Made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. This meal is not for you. Do not eat it. The Bible says, do not bring judgment upon yourself from eating this bread and drinking this cup. So as the deacons pass out the elements now, you'll hear the handbell choir play a beautiful tune. There is a redeemer. Prepare your heart. Think about Jesus, what he's done for you, and worship him.